What's up everyone? This is Daily Perales, The Daily Effect. Guess what? I've got someone on the show today, Mr. Ben Katzler. And let me tell you something about Ben, um, how I come into contact with Ben. He was for um, doing photography for one of my fighters. And I was like, oh shit, he does good pictures. So um, he started taking pictures of all my fighters, including myself. And now we've become... Uh, I, I would say friends. You can cover him. He comes and trains in the gym every day. And when I can fit him in, I try and do him some, uh, give him a pad session. So that's how Ben Katzler come about. And he's very interested in, uh, in boxing. He has a lot of views on boxing. And, uh, and funny enough, he was just talking about the heavyweight division and my views on the heavyweight division. And I think he wants to, question me on a few things ain't that right ben in a manner of speaking yeah only well I, I, you've said some things about the heavyweight division recently that i found surprising because you correct me if i'm wrong you would describe yourself as a a a boxing fan as a, in terms of like you you are a fan of the art of boxing yeah correct and so right now with the heavyweight division being with it being all shaken up with the Ruiz Joshua result um, and a iffy draw back at the end of last year with Fury's return. Um, I wanted to. I'm, I'm curious to know your to know your views on these uh, on on these guys and where their what their standing is at the moment in terms of any sort of pecking order because you have gone on record as saying that you think Deontay Wilder is your favorite heavyweight of the moment. Is that accurate? Yeah, I still stand by that. Just, um, it's controversial, probably in a lot of people's eyes, but we're talking about heavyweight boxing here. We ain't talking about lower divisions. We're talking about the heavyweight division. And everyone knows when it comes to the heavyweight division, everyone likes to see knockouts. Everyone likes to see excitement. If you go back to the days of Mike Tyson, why did people stay up to all hours of the morning um, waiting to watch Mike Tyson. They knew the fight was going to end in round one, round two, but they still wait up until three, four o'clock in the morning just so he can see someone knock someone out. And I just think Deontay Wilder brings that kind of flavour. His te technique is not to, to the best. It's not the best. It's not like of a Tyson Fury. Um, but he brings drama, he brings excitement, he brings that devastating knockout power and he does it with bad intentions. And I stand by the fact that I think there hasn't been a vicious puncher, and that's a key word, vicious puncher, um, since Mike Tyson, you know? And Deontay Wilder is that vicious puncher. He's the first one since Mike Tyson to have that kind of, when he, when he, when he sees blood, when he smells blood, he goes and finishes him. And you'll never save with Deontay Wilder. And Tyson Fury found that out. True. Very true. The only the, the thing is, to me, the difference between him and Tyson and the reason why people wanted to stay up and watch Tyson fight, I don't think there are many people... I don't think there are that many people itching to stay up until the early hours of the morning to see Deontay Wilder. Because the thing with Tyson was, was that you were going to see a boxing display as well. Yeah. There was something about him that was... Be it because of his, his his size and his frame, his center of gravity, he was able to do things that were completely unnatural for any other heavyweight to be able to achieve. 
also what things he done outside the ring. He was just intriguing to everyone. Sure. I guess he became more intriguing. More, yeah. The later is the later. Yeah, the later the, it got. Yeah, all the controversy, the bad stuff that come with his name. Yeah, added to the drama. But really, I'm in, I'm interested just to hear your thoughts on a few different um, fighters in the heavyweight division. We touched on this earlier today, but just for the sake of your yeah audience, um, Daniel Dubois, the Nathan Gorman fight at, at the weekend. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I remember you saying, what do I think? Who do you think is going to win? And my answer is, uh, I'm not really interested. And I know it sounds, it sounds, you know, wrong for me to say, or some people might think that's disrespectful. I'm not disrespecting them as fighters. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. You know what I mean? Those kind of fighters there, it doesn't really interest in me. Gorman versus Dubois. I mean, I've seen Dubois in person, sparring with one of my ex-fighters, I've, I, you know, I've watched his fights, you know, uh, I've gave him a chance as in, let's see what he's all about. And I haven't been impressed with not one of his performances, even the people that he's been knocking out, you know, I haven't been impressed. I just think there's levels to boxing. And I think there's only going to be a certain level he can get to before he meets um, a certain kind of heavyweight that will destroy him basically there's a lot of flaws there's a lot of holes in his games um um he's very stiff he, he's very i just don't he doesn't excite me as a heavyweight boxer gorman just looks like a blown up cruiserweight with fast hands right that's again this is why your view on this surprised me because i thought if you were gonna see an exciting fight with daniel dubois it was going to involve a fighter like Gorman, who is much more the boxer. You see what I mean? It's like the, with, with the with the idea that styles are going to make the styles make the fights. It seems like this big, the sort of stiff, yeah, robotic Dubois versus a slippery, quick, um, albeit a bit on the chubby side, Nathan Gorman. You know what it is? It probably would be. A, it probably will be a decent fight. But you know what it is. <laughs> It's like them two have no charisma. You know, those two fighters have no... They, there's nothing about them. You mean in terms of their fighting style? No, just them. As I, I think, as a boxer, you need the full package. I agree. And, I, know, and I would agree with you on as far as Dubois is concerned. Yeah, Dubois... Um, I, I find it difficult to... Gorman, Hatton helps Gorman with the, the personality side, I think. You think so? <laughs> I don't know. Um... I just think, I just think that, that you need a whole package. You know his cousin is as well. Who? Nathan Gorman. Who's cousin? He's Tyson Fury's cousin. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I never even knew that. Yeah, he's got the got the gift of the gab in that family. Damn! I need to brush up on my boxing. I thought I knew everything. Yeah. He's also, I think, he's Bartley Gorman's great nephew. If you know who Bartley Gorman was, Bartley Gorman was the original king of the gypsies, bare knuckle fighter. Well. If you're talking, to, if, if, well, we're going to find out what Gorman's made of at the moment, yeah, right now, because all the fights he's had, and both of them, all the fights have had, they're nothing special, nothing to rave about. So this is like a crossroads. They're, they're fighting each other relatively early as well. You know, mm, it's true. And they, there's some sort of dispute in their sparring stories of when they used to spar together. Yeah. The world actually, they're trying to hype the fight. Sure. Because that fight, doesn't really, I spoke to my fighter earlier and he said he that, that fight don't really interest you. 
you know, that fight. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It could turn out to be fight of the year because they've got that kind of, they've got those two styles, two different styles. It might turn out to be the greatest British heavyweight fight of all time. You never know. Never. But I, I don't think so. If anything, I think as much as I don't really rate Dubois, I think he'd probably knock Gorman out. Maybe. I don't think it's going 12 rounds. Um, I don't think Gorman has the power probably to knock um, Dubois out. Um, he has the skills probably to make him look stupid. But that all depends if Dubois lands on his chin and knocks him out, has which Dubois, I think he would, would do. Has Dubois done, gone 12 rounds with anyone, as far as you know? No, not that. I don't think so, has he? He ain't got 12. Nah, he ain't got 12 rounds. That's what I'm saying. I'm not interested in Dubois, so I, you're asking me these questions. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm just thinking, because I've got a feeling he's, he's, if he can, if Gorman can take him far enough in the fight, he'll kill Gas and Gorman will do him. But anyway, next up, White Rebus. Yeah. Do not give a shit about that either. No, no, I give a shit about um, White Rebus. I think that's a, a tasty fight. There's actually two things about that I'm curious to know. Yeah. First of all, just on the subject of Dillian White, why do you think Dillian White is not getting the shots that he and a lot of other people think he deserves? I don't know. Maybe because Eddie Hearn has got his favourite that he, if he shows too much attention to Dillian White, then maybe it would be seen as disrespect to Anthony Joshua. I don't know. Only they know, but you know, I think it's out a bit out of order that he hasn't had, um, you know, the shot that he deserves. It's not like Eddie Hearn is like some small-time promoter that hasn't got the money to stick up and go, here, yeah. let's make the fight happen. Because you've, we've all seen, as, as bad as a promoter sometimes Frank Warren is, we've all seen when he wants to get a fight, Frank Warren goes and gets the fight, you know what I mean? We've seen that with um, Fury versus Wilder, yeah. straight away he went and got him that fight, you know what I mean? And it's like, um, I think he's just being, yeah, he's on the shelf at the moment, because yeah. even if he beats Rivas, where is he going to go after Rivas for now? As I said in my last podcast, I said, the only way, the only place for him to go is probably, why not fight Manuel Shah, who's the WBA regular world champion? At yeah. least he could say he's a world champion, while he's waiting for the others. You know what I mean? Right. There's a belt there. He beat Manuel Shaw. So he could, he could call himself WBA world champ. Because um, I don't think those fights are happening yet. Wilder's got a fight. Um, and then Wilder's got that rematch with Fury. Looks like it's penciled for February next year. Um, you, you, you've you got... It's confirmed, apparently. Yeah, apparently it's confirmed. You've got um, Ruiz versus Joshua rematch. Is that also... Is that done and in the bag, or is that does that still need to be triggered? Like, no, no, no. That that's done. All that needs to be agreed is uh, the venue and I think the date. So there's no chance of AJ fighting anyone no. other than Ruiz. No, before Ruiz. No, in my opinion, I wouldn't fight Ruiz straight away. In my opinion, I, I I'll stay away from that. There's just some fighters out there that have your number. I think Ruiz has Anthony Joshua's number. Um. I don't know if it's a good eye. I don't think 
six months is enough time to correct all the things that he needs to, uh, to be corrected. I think sometimes you need to be sensible. Is that Fury could have easily gone in and had an immediate rematch with Wilder, for example. Mm. You know, it's in their contracts. He could have easily had an immediate rematch, but they decided to go another way. He's had a couple of fights, you know. And he had his ESPN deal, which I guess... ESPN deal, exactly. But um, I don't know, man. Nowhere for Dillian White to go for, for the time being. All he can do is beat... You know what he needs to do? He needs to make a big statement against Rivas. Mm. If he makes a big statement against Rivas and be like, listen, enough is enough now. Look what I've just done to Rivas. you got to give me a shot. you got to go out there and give me the shot. I don't care. you got to go out there and give me the shot. Because otherwise, if I was Dillian White, I'd be going, is it time to be like, listen, Eddie, you know what I mean? It's time we say we say goodbye, and maybe he go with I don't know. Try an American pro- uh, manager like Al Heyman, or uh, a, a promoter in America, or maybe go to Frank Warren. As much as uh, Frank Warren's an idiot, you know, um, Frank Warren's good at getting big fights as well. So Frank Warren's an idiot. Would you elaborate on that? No, uh, not something that people hear an awful lot. I just think you know, well. It goes back to the days of Mike Tyson. Why did Mike Tyson apparently punch him in the face? You know what I mean? Must be a reason to it. But you know what? All promoters, I think, are idiots at the end of the day. So, you know, they're all idiots. It's going to be a hard job to do without pissing off someone at the end of the day. What? It's never, it, 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 you're never going to be the most popular guy in the room. No. No, you're not. But um, I think it's the way Eddie Hearn does it. I think, you know. You're talking about Eddie Hearn or Frank Warren? Well, I'm talking about every promoter now, you know? So how does this side of things work? Because I've been wondering this, and I'm sure a lot of other people have too, just on the still on Dillian White. He is the WBC mandatory uh, for, um, for, a world, for a world title fight and has been for something like 500, 600 days. For the WBC, for Wilder's belt, yeah? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all right. Yeah. If you are the mandatory, why... How how can the politics of it still keep him on the sidelines? If he's in that mandatory position. Galahad was the mandatory for Josh Warrington. Josh Warrington had no choice but to fight him. Had to happen. Whenever there's someone who's the mandatory, unless they get ill or something bad happens to them, something else, some other weird circumstances. Um, Whoever's got the belt has to fight them. So how is it that Dillian White is still being um, marginalised? Well, well, everyone knows there's politics in boxing. And the thing is, it's clear to see, but at the same time, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes, even though you know there's a lot of politics in boxing. Of course. Right, so people, Deontay Wilder's team, Deontay Wilder's promoter and manager, they're only going to know. They're the, uh, they're the only people that are going to know the details of why he ain't defending his belt against a mandatory challenger. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I think a lot of it's to do with money, man, as well. You don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You know? Um, they, someone might be getting paid just to keep it like that, some extra money. 
you know what I mean? And just drag it out for longer. And at the end of the day, Deontay Wilder's American as well. He's American heavyweight champion. Mm. So just like Eddie Hearn protects um, Anthony Joshua, mm-hmm. they probably doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, Deontay, I think fighting um, Dillian White is a risk to some people as well. You know? Sure. No, I can see that. Dillian White does not bring big money to the table at the moment. He, he brings money. I'm not saying he doesn't bring money, but if you want the mega bucks, he don't bring that kind of money yet to the table where you can say Wilder versus White and it sells this amount of pay-per-views, you know what I mean? This amount of tickets on the gate, you know, um, you know their purse it doesn't generate as much as it would another fight. So maybe that's why... Not as much as Wilder Ortiz. Because everyone knows that Ortiz is probably about 10 years older than he is on paper. <laughs> and everyone knows that... I mean, I guess because he gave Wilder some trouble in their last fight, people are eager but to But it's a rematch. It's a rematch, isn't it? So it, it generate it generate a lot of money. Yeah, but it's, it's a rematch. But it's not a rematch like a Fury Wilder rematch. It's not a rematch where... But that's coming, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, I mean, is, is the appetite out there? To he's, see? he's probably seeing it as, look, Dillian White's a risk, yeah, yeah at this stage. Yeah, because he's, he's younger, he's fresher, mm. and he's hungry to, to win a world title. Mm. Ortiz is 100 years old. Right, he's already knocked him out. He's already knocked him out. Yeah. He's seen this as a e- not easy defense, but just a, de- a defense that he can win, mm-hmm. winning style, and set him up and keep him fresh for that Fury rematch. Sure. You know what I mean? And so he can't hang around waiting for Fury rematch when Fury's having fights and all that. So he needs a fighter that isn't going to step in the ring and potentially um, take his world title off him. Dillian White could be that person. You know what I mean? It's a risk. I think it's a risk anyway. It's you know how with the build up to um oh no sorry no not the build up to that the um when it came a while back before the Ruiz AJ fight and people and there was a lot of interest in seeing AJ obviously fighting Deontay Wilder and the word on the street was simply that there were issues surrounding the purse split. Like there was a lot of money was being talked yeah, about yeah. and this person wasn't happy with the split and then this person wasn't happy with the split. Yeah. Why is it, do you think, that in times like that, the promoters don't just say, okay, you're going to do a 45-45 split and the winner takes the difference? Seems to be the most, the fairest way of doing it. Because everyone's greedy, man. Nobody wants it like that. Right, but if, but every, I understand that. But at the same time, if, if, if that's a real case of people just having to put their money where their mouth is. You think you're worth, if you know, hypothetically, if this conversation had been had six, eight months ago about AJ and, and Wilder, um, all right, you think you're worth the 60% and you think you're worth the 60%. Why don't we just, um, why don't we just, whoa. Yes. Back, back, just um, some interruption there. But yeah, carry on, Ben. So, About the sixty yeah. percent. So in in a circumstance like that, where one fighter says, "No, I'm I'm the sixty percent. I'm taking the lion's share," and the other one's saying, "No, I should be taking the lion's share," 
um, because we're both world champions or because of whatever the reason is that they're giving, why don't, it seems to be the obvious solution to that is to say, well, why don't we just find out who's worth the difference? And we sign to a, whatever, 45-45 split and whoever wins takes the difference. So that way, it's not just about appealing to the greed. Yeah. It's about saying, all right, well, if you think you're worth that, we'll find out at the end of the fight. And then there can be no complaints. Yeah, it's, it, I wish life was that easy, but then there's a lot of egos involved in boxing. Um, even when it comes down to whose name is on the poster, who, whose name is read first on a poster. Right who walks to the ring first. You know, if you're talking about two high-profile um, champions or whatever, yeah. who walks, it's everything. And it's all to do about ego. I, well, I'm the best, so I deserve this. But then you've got the managers, you, then you've got the promoters, and then you've got everyone in your ear. It's not so easy to get a deal done like that. And that's why it takes so long as well. And then they want the most money. They think one person thinks, I deserve this money. Uh, because I've done this, I've boxed this person, you haven't this. There's so many factors involved that having a split like that, it'd be great. It'd be great. I, I, I reckon it should go back to the days where there was one belt. Yeah, I don't disagree. But then, again, you were talking about the politics of it. Can you imagine the politics involved of basically you want to eradicate Three or four, yeah, old world yeah. boxing. Yeah, it boxes. wouldn't it wouldn't be able to happen now, but you know, we'll just you'll know who the true champ is as well. Mm. Um, there was another question I had for you actually, which was to do with um, boxers' paydays. Yeah, which is that at, at the lower level. So I know we're we're not really. This isn't so much to do with the heavyweight division, but just in terms of boxing in general. No problem. We could talk about anything on this show. It doesn't have to stick to the same subject. Amen. So here's what I'm wondering: Why is it? In fact, no. I because I, I know why, and it's again, it's down to the politics and down to a fair degree of corruption that's been in the sport yeah. since the sport's been around. But what do you think? about the idea of there being a boxer's union in the same way that if you are a railway worker, you're in a union. If you're an actor, you're in a union. In other words, a body that guarantees you a certain amount of pay every time you go out there and do your job. Hmm. So there would be, in other words, there is a, there would there would be a minimum amount of money that a promoter could legally pay a boxer. But then there have to be a load of different, you know, different ranges of pay, obviously, because there's four, four rounders, six rounders, eight rounders, 100%. ten rounders, twelve yeah. rounders. Same as there is with title fights, same, world title fights. Exactly. Same as there is in acting in actors' unions as well. If you're an actor, if you're a member of Equity, there is there's a, there are pay grades. Oh, I think that'd be a good idea. At least you're you, at least you're you know you, it's more secure, right? You know, because the thing that, that I mean that I've 
initially, you know, just to me a bit by surprise when you and I first started working together and I started shooting the fights and I was interested in, yeah. you know, how are these guys making out at the end of this financially? And the word back to me was, well, if it's the home fighter, if it's the fighter that is represented by that promoter, probably not very well, probably lucky to see anything at the end of, at the end of a fight. Yeah. Not only that, They've also got to sell their own tickets. Yeah, it's a fucked up world, man. It's a very, very, it seems like a quite a twisted system. And I understand that if, you know, the promoter doesn't want to lose, but to me... It's messed up because boxing is probably a sport where unless you haven't got, unless you have, unless you've got sponsorship, you know, paying you every week for you to train, it's very hard to, to, to survive as a boxer because box, boxing unless you've come from the the Olympics or whatever you're signed to a big promoter from day one, you've got no security when it comes to making money. Right. You know what I mean? No security whatsoever. So um, you're training every day. It's meant to be your job, but you're not getting paid like a normal person gets paid in a job. Right. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a very hard and long road. Yeah, and for the people out there that don't know, you have to sell tickets. If you haven't come through that system of um, Olympics, um, you're not signed with a big promoter from day one, you have to sell tickets. And to give you an example, you, you get 88 tickets. You have to sell um, 88 to guarantee your purse, your opponent's purse, and the house fee that goes to the promoter. Now, people that don't understand boxing, you're probably thinking about what is... Why do you have to pay for your opponent? The reason why you have to pay for your opponent is you're trying to build your career. You're not going to fight undefeated fighters straight away. You're going to build um, and progress up the ranks in, in a smart way, um, fighting journeymen to start off with, to learn the trade before you start stepping, progressing and stepping up as you go along. Um, you're building a brand. Yeah, build, yeah, and building your profile, building a brand. Whereas if you're signed to a big promoter from day one, let's take, take uh, I don't know, Emir Khan won a silver medal and he gets signed straight away to a big promoter. They don't have to worry about paying the journeyman because their promoter pays it for them. Right. Because they're with a promoter that can afford to do that. Whereas when you're signed to these small hall promoters, they, they, they've got so many fighters just like you under their banner and they're not going to be paying journeymen for you. You know what I mean? Right. You're going to have to pay it for yourself. If you want to get brought up the same way as like a Emir Khan, you know what I mean? Then you're going to have to pay it out of your own pocket. I know it sounds mean, but that's the way it is. Um, do I like it? I don't know. I think some of these promoters, I understand they need to make money. But at the same time, I think there's one or two fighters they should go right, look at and go, okay, he don't sell a lot of tickets. I know he struggles, but ain't he a talented fighter? Yeah. I can see the future in this kid. He's going to become a world champion. So let me invest in him. That's a, Let me invest in him. I put the money into his career. You know what I mean? I think even if you're a small hall promoter, you should be able to see the ability of a fighter and see their future and help them. You know what I mean? Instead of being, going, well, you don't really sell tickets. So unlucky, basically. When did, when did the system as it is now, when did it become that way? How long has it been like that? 
Um, I don't know how long it's actually been like that. It's been like that ever since I was a pro, but it could have been like that before I was a pro. And I turned, when I was used to be a pro, that was in like 2008. So um, a long time, I'm sure it is. Sure, of course it was happening before, before I was a pro. And um, I found that out quick, you know, and that's why I'm a, I like to mentor my fighters as well, because I know what it's like. I remember one fight, I got paid 50 pound. So can you imagine you're training for three months for a fight and then you come out of there with 50 pound? You know what I mean? Were you sponsored as a pro? No. Not sponsored. So that's, it's hard, you know, because you have to work and train as well. So I had a part-time job and then I trained at the same time. But you work three months, and it's disheartening because you work your ass off for three months, and then I'm like, what? I've got £50, and all because I was struggling to sell tickets. What was your part-time job? I was working in retail on, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. Um, Clothing? Yeah. But I, I could have I could have worked full-time, yeah. but I wanted to do the boxing, so that's why i done weekend job. But as I said, you train three months. I trained three months. And then I came out with £50 and I'm looking at the £50 thinking, fuck this shit, man. I've worked three months for this. How did you? Fifth. And how did you get it? Was it a cheque? No, just handed it. Really? I didn't even need an envelope. It's just here's made £50 tonight. And you had to pay your trainer out of that as well, didn't you? No, he let me off, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he let me off. He's like, don't worry. Let you off the fight. No, uh, even me as a trainer, if my fighter's not selling any tickets and he's made a hundred pound. Why am I going to take 10% from that? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, not, it doesn't do anything. Where my money counts, the money I make from my boxers now, I don't see that as money because it's not enough money to feed my Some family. You know what I mean? Yeah. What I do with the money, if the bear, if they've done good with tickets, what I do with my percentage, I just save that money. Yeah. Yeah. And just let it stay there in a savings account. That's my thing. My, I know I've succeeded as, a, succeeded as a trainer once I start seeing, I don't know, 200 grand, for example, mm. out of my percent. For my percentage, I get paid 200 grand, for example. That's your, how you know I've become a successful trainer. So I look at the long-term vision. You were talking earlier about, you know, there being a lot of greed in, in boxing. Yeah. Um, this occurred to me the other day. I was wondering about, Trainers who have the, who put their fighters in to fights, which maybe they don't, and I can't think of any clear examples of these at the moment, but I'm just wondering about trainers who also see the dollar signs yeah. in their eyeballs when they have a fighter yeah. who could be about to embark on a massive payday in a fight that they probably or maybe shouldn't be in. But their trainer cha-ching cha-ching exactly how often how, how prevalent do you think that is amongst trainers I understand we all need to make money but I just think if you ain't doing it from your heart and you ain't got passion behind it then there's no point I can never do anything I can never do anything just for money if I wanted to do anything for money, I'd go and be an escort. You know what I mean? If I wanted to do something for money. 
I mean, this ain't nothing to play around with. This is hard work, man. You've got a graft in this game. You can't just think you can be a coach and you're going to earn loads of money and, and think you're going to be the best trainer by just trying to get 20 fighters under your belt uh, to build up your 10% so you're getting m money consistently like that. That's why I can't, I can refuse to be a trainer like that. I refuse to be a trainer like that because I'm a winner. I want to win. Mm. It ain't about losing for me. I want to win fights. As a trainer, I want my fighters to win fights. So the money for me is, is that's long-term, that's long-term investment for all the years I'm grafting to get to the point where I can say, when it, we can hear, and the new whatever organization, champion of the world. What is he? Light welter? Super lightweight. Super lightweight. Yeah. Super lightweight. We're talking and about my fighter who's in the room. Who's in the room being very quiet. <coughs> oh, mate, there's some banging and crashing going on. We can't do anything about that. Yeah. Um... What, uh, We're in a boxing gym, so we are. So, oh, there was just something on the tip of my tongue there. Yeah, but but basically, the point is, I can never ever do anything for money in that kind of way. The, listen, everyone wants money. I want freaking money. I ain't gonna sit here and lie and say I don't want any money. Yeah. I've got a family. I, I've got wife. I've got kids. I've got to feed them. I want us to have a nice life, a nice house. And everything they want, I want to be able to give it to them. But for me to give them that life, I've got to look at the long-term goal, not short-term goal, because that short-term goal, that money ain't going to do anything for me. You know what I mean? So that's why it's not about money for me. It's about me progressing as a coach, me progressing my fighters, so we can get to the point where we're making that kind of money because we've earned the right to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, that's why you will never see me have 20 fighters. I refuse to be one of those coaches that has 20 fighters just so they can get their tempers. Can you imagine if you've got six, seven fighters out on one show in one night and you add up those 10%, they're earning good money, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't be that kind of coach. Never. Start, I guess if you start thinking that way, if you start looking the accumulative, oh, it's going to be a hell of a night for me. Listen, if my fighters lose, I lose. I feel the pain. I feel like I've done something wrong. That's how serious I take losing. I think like, what the hell did I do? I go home. I question myself. I'm like, what did I do, man? What did I do? It's not so much I'm thinking, what did they do? I'm thinking, to my, that's how much I want to be one of the best coaches in the world. Because I'm thinking, constantly thinking, what have I done for this to happen? And how do I put it right? You know what I mean? Question about, just a bit, still uh, just speaking of training and trainers and the best and who are the best. It's strange to me that, because this is like a two, uh, two elements to this that I wanted to ask you about, which was, first of all, on the subject we were just talking about. When it comes to the discussion of the, of the, of the best trainers, there's one who very, very rarely, I actually never hear his name come up. And you hear a lot about Emmanuel Stewart, obviously. You hear an awful lot about people like Teddy Atlas, obviously. Customato, obviously. Freddie Roach, obviously. Daily Corrales, Daily Corrales. Coming soon. <laughs> um, but 
there is one whose name never really comes up, and he trained the greatest of all time, which is Angelo Dundee. Angelo Dundee's name never seems to feature in that conversation. But the other thing about him that I was, just in terms of what we were talking about a second ago, was that we both, you, you saw it, I saw it, I don't know, um, the, um, you saw it as well, the Antoine Fuqua documentary, two-part documentary about Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And there is, like all Muhammad Ali documentaries, the longer, the, the, the sooner you, the closer you get to the end of them, the sadder you are and the yeah. more upset you are. It gets depressing. And when then you see that scene of him sh- not even able to lift his arms up before the Trevor Burbick fight. Sure. He was a mess. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to me that guy had no business being in the... No, it's not just me, anyone who looks no, at yeah, him. absolutely no reason whatsoever yeah, he was a mess. why he, was, he should have been allowed to get in, to, to be in that fight. Yeah. And probably you could say the same for the five or six or even seven fights he had before that. Yeah, yeah. Um, was Angelo Dundee happy for him to be in that ring? Because Angelo, I don't want to say, I'm not trying to sound like I'm bad mouthing Angelo Dundee because no, obviously I don't, he was I, I, a hell of a trainer. He's not, he's no longer alive. And it's, uh, it, it, it seems like him and Ali always had this incredible relationship. Ali only ever had one trainer. Yeah. It's not yeah. like today you see these guys, they, you know, they, they needed something shaken up in camp. They have to go train somewhere else, which is understandable. Don't get me wrong. But well, it's, it's, it's hard to say because we weren't around. But but my take on this, they they did have a great relationship and understanding. So I would think just the same as my my fighters, I would think if you had that kind of relationship, he would have mentioned it mm. like. You can't do this. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't agree with you taking this fight. I think he would have mentioned it, but at the same time, you're talking about Muhammad Ali, outspoken. No one can really tell him anything, kind of character, and I think that's the kind of character he was. Like he, he was he, he wanted. He was a bit stubborn, you know, when it comes to you know wanting to, you know, just prove. Yeah all the time that I'm the best, I'm number one, no one can beat me, no one can touch me, you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, he was even saying all that, even though he looked fat, he looked out of shape, mm. and he was still saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to shuck the world, you thought I was you thought I was finished, I this and that. destroy yeah. homes. <laughs> yeah, I will destroy yeah. homes and all that. But he's looking in bad shape, Yeah, and he's still talking like that, so... I don't know, it's a hard one because we're not there, but I'm not, I'm not sure Angel, Angelo Dundee would have gone, yeah, that's fine, let's go and beat ha- um, Larry Holmes. I guess it's a tough position for a trainer to be in as well if they've been with that fighter for... It's tough, even to years. the point where when you you think you should s- stop a fight. Sure. Stopping a fight... And he had stopped his fight. He, he, yeah, he yeah. stopped the fight against Larry Holmes. Yeah, yeah. And then the following year... Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So yeah. he probably had that discussion before disagreeing with it. Sure. I'm and, on, but what I'm wondering is, do you think that he stayed on for the Burbick fight as trainer because he thought, well, look, he's going to do this with or without me. I'd rather I was there for it. Yeah, probably. You yeah, something more like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think so. And, 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 and you know, I mean... 
trainers are humans as well, so it's not easy being a trainer sometimes because there's tough decisions you have to make, and it could ruin your whole relationship with a fighter if a fighter takes it the wrong way. Mm. There was a point where um, Chris Algieri, I don't know if you know him, mm-hmm. versus... Before Tommy Coyle. Laughed, yeah, didn't he? yeah, exactly. And who's Tommy Coyle's trainer? Jamie Moore. Okay. Jamie Moore stopped the fight. Yeah. Now, Jamie Moore initially, because like all fighters do, for 10 seconds was upset. But then he done a, I think he done a post, post, you know, giving credit to Jamie Moore um, for stopping the fight. Who, who gave the post? Sorry, Tommy Coyle. Yeah, Tommy yeah, Coyle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, saying, you know, he, at the time, you know, but now looking back on it, he done, he done the best, mm. uh, made the best decision. But I think it's one of the hardest things, decisions to make to stop a fight. What do you think is if you can just cast your encyclopedic knowledge of all this back a little bit, what yeah. do you think is the hardest stoppage that any trainer has ever had to do? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot here. Hardest stoppage? I don't know. One, uh... Because I know what would have been considered a, a contender for the spot. What? Which is Eddie Futch when he, um, he stopped Ali Frazier 3 in Manila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the between the 14th and 15th round, oh, yeah. one more round to go. One more round to go. Oh, that's so see me because I used to be a fighter. I know it's health, health comes into it, but you know, and this what do you think? You know, it's stopping a fight if you've got one round to go. What, the trainer stops a fight, but you've got one round to go of a, a you're going into the last round. Yeah. Yeah. So objectively, from the outside looking in, it's easy to say. Yeah. A lot of people would, I think, must have been at the time. Like how? Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's what people don't realize. Tense and and it's just like a boxer that first comes to the gym to wanting to be a boxer. They find out how hard boxing is and how long three minutes is. Three minutes seems like it's nothing Mm. to the normal world you know what I mean but when you step inside a boxing ring if you if if there's so many aspects behind you know trying to stay in a fight in those three minutes Mm. you know what I mean fitness stamina you know what I mean footwork ring crop so many different things and you find out how tough three minutes is Mm. um if if you're not ready for it right um so yeah unless he's right 10 seconds is a lot in boxing and it could be that one punch that ends your life so even that you can't agree but Muhammad Ali being a Muhammad Ali probably would have been pissed off if it had been him um getting stopped ah right well if if his trainer Eddie Futch Eddie you mean Joe Frazier yeah yeah Joe Frazier Joe Frazier was obviously he really wasn't happy but the funny thing is, is that I heard there's a story that... And Muhammad Ali, if he got stopped. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't know if you heard this story, that, that, that in the, in between that 14th and 15th, the 15th round that never happened... They were going to pull him out. Ali yeah. was saying, cut my gloves off, I'm yeah. done. Yeah. And before... They beat him to it. Yeah, they exactly, they beat him to it. Beat him to it. And Eddie Fudge was apparently... God was with him right there. Yeah. <laughs> 
But Eddie Fudge apparently said that he had absolutely no... It was not difficult for him at all to stop that fight because he'd witnessed, he'd been first-hand involved in, I think, two or three ring deaths well, prior to that. That says it all, then. And after that, he was just... Or if, if not, not necessarily of his fighters, but he'd seen it happen two or three times. Listen, it's a dangerous sport at the end of the day. you got to realise, right? This ain't MMA. This is boxing. Now, a lot of people say MMA is dangerous, but I've got my one of my fighters who's an MMA fighter. He thinks boxing's more dangerous. Right. And he's right, because you've got gloves on, right? You've got these wraps that harden your knuckles underneath those gl small gloves. And there's one big difference between boxing and MMA. Boxing, you're just getting punched in the head constantly which is not good. Your brain is not meant to get hit like that. Whereas MMA, one sh clean strike, they hit the deck, the referee stops it. One tap, you can referee see, yeah, stops exactly. it. Most of it's done on the floor. You know what I mean? Not standing up. You know what I mean? So the head don't really get caved in too much in MMA. Yeah. Whereas boxing, it's constantly, you're getting hit in the brain all the time. Yeah, and the submission is so much a part of MMA. You can submit yeah. in boxing, but no one's ever. But you'd have a hard time looking. Well, in boxing, you get knocked down. You got a chance to get up. Sure, but I'm, what I'm saying is that in boxing, you you could yeah. say I'm done. No, thank no, you. No, yeah, you I'm, could. It's all over. Thanks very much. But well, you well, don't we, find fighters. Yeah, well, you that. could like Emir Khan done against Crawford. Uh, well, that's Amir Amir Khan wouldn't say that that's what he did. But everyone knows he quit. In no, that no, 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 I'm not. I'm not e everyone that. that knows boxing knows he yeah. quit in that fight. Or if you're Roberto, I mean, Roberto Duran quit, hands yeah. down, yeah. said, no more, thanks very much, I'm done. But that wasn't, and he wasn't exactly a cowardly fighter. Yeah. But Well, if you're getting fight, if you get if you get caught with a low blow, everyone knows you've got up to five minutes yeah. to recover. He never took the five minutes, asked him if he's all right. Even his trainer. <laughs> he was like, what am I getting paid for this? Even Virgil Hunter was saying, what's going on? He was confused. Yeah, you know I mean, you've got five minutes to recover. But like, he didn't want the five minutes. Nah. Crawford was just... When you know you've just had... Was just getting warmed up, that's why. And when you know you've got, what was he being made? Probably like three, three million for that fight. Well, you know you've got three million in the bank. It's, it's Yeah, Amy, Amy Khan hasn't got, uh, the, the, I think, the, the drive... The hunger for boxing anymore. That's why he's doing this Saudi Arabia uh, fight with this unknown, no guy that nobody knows of. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, speaking of guys that no one's heard of. Oh, I saw something the other day that really upset me. I don't know if you saw it. If you if you saw it, Prince Patel. This is not someone who I like to give an awful lot of oxygen. For those of but... you that, because there's no video to this podcast, as soon as he said Prince Patel, I was just shaking my head. And just, I, and just so you don't know. And in my own head, I was shaking my head as I said his name because I, this is not someone who I feel needs to be picked up or even talked about at all. But it's not so much him that was the issue. I don't know if you saw his his quote unquote world title. In oh the my god! The other day, I was and laughing. He was laughing. Would I be exaggerating if I said that the guy who he was fighting was about the same standard as me? And for those of you Shit. who don't know, thanks. But for those of you who don't know, I'm not yeah, even a yeah, boxer. Yeah, he is. But who? Prince Patel. Oh, is it? 
are you serious? I was looking at the guy who I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't understand how he had a license. Wait, was what so did someone, remind the people, what did Prince Patel say? What did he say? Yeah, that, the, what did he put up? He didn't put anything up. I think it was Sonny Edwards put up this video of Prince Patel yeah. in a apparent world title eliminator for the WBF or something. Ah, oh, the WBF is like a... For those you know that don't like, don't know the WBF, it might as well be the WWF yeah, exactly. or WWE World Wrestling Entertainment Belt. The fight looked like it was happening in a leisure center somewhere. Yeah. They weren't... The, I mean... The only people in the audience, I think, were judges. Prince Patel... He's like... See... Let's say you got Prince Nazim, yeah? Now, Prince Nazim... As the joker he was, everyone loved him. Just because of the way he'd done it. The way Prince Patel does it... Everyone just straight up hates him because of the way he acts, the way he talks about himself. I mean, who goes on there talking about how good looking you are and um, um, all the girls want me and this and that, but then look at him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just makes me laugh, man. Um, but I will say this, though. I'll give him this little bit of credit. Prince Patel went away from Frank Warren. Well, Frank Warren got rid of him. And he went his own way and he's gone on touring Europe, shall we say, fighting bums, building up his record to the point where he's now ranked by the WBO in the top. I think he's ranked number seven by the WBO, something like that in the world. And that's just on the basis. And of he's ranked number 15, I think, something like this by the WBC. And that's because he's gone away and built up his record. Well, look, as far as I know, he might be, he might be the bee's knees. He might be the absolute nuts. But what bothered me about this fight that he had was that he was in there with someone who I, did, did you see the fight that I'm no, talking about? No, Okay, so it was over in about 50 seconds. The guy who he was fighting, I'm not joking, this is what I'm saying, this wasn't an exaggeration. I saw it and I was like, that looks like the kind of guy who, if I went into a gym and said, give me someone to spar with, by the way, I've got absolutely no amateur background. I've done I've done a bit of spar. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, is that it? Bring, is that me, bring that over here a minute. Bring that over here a minute. No, that's not it. That it? That it? But, no, no, that's not the one. But anyway, all the, his opponents is like that, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's mm. building himself up. Um, you know, I don't know, fair play to him. He's put himself in a position, as much as I think he's a twat, he's put himself in a, in a, in a position where he's ranked. Now that he's ranked, though, how, how long can he carry on fighting bums before he has to fight someone decent in that top 10? Now he's ranked. And he's, when he does fight someone decent, he's probably going to get found out. Well, he's calling out everyone, really. I mean, he's been calling out Sonny Edwards for a, a while. No, and Sonny Edwards will beat him, man. Uh, yeah, of course. But, I mean, it was just... Uh, it what bothered me about seeing this fight was that, is this the way... Is this... This is like a real low. No, I Some people... I mean, there's a guy in there who who doesn't... It seemed like he... I'm sorry, I don't know what the guy's name is, and I'm sorry to say... To, be, to, to, to trash him. But this was a guy who didn't know... 
I can't put it any plainly. He just didn't know how to fucking box. And that's me saying it. I'm not a boxer. I'm, you know, I, I saw him. I was like, well, it's the same. To this go- was just, yeah, it was just ugly to see someone be put in there to basically just be a punching bag. I mean, you know, someone who could have seriously hurt. Yeah, people are not stupid these days. Even if they don't do the sport, you know what I mean. They they can see when a fighter is complete rubbish or you know fighting bums or whatever. They can just see it. They can read it. Just the same as coaches. No one's fools anymore. People can see if you're a good coach or a bad coach. Or if you know what you're doing, there's so many coaches out there. So many. Mm. They don't know what they're doing. Who do you reckon is treated less fairly? The low-level professional who's starting out in their career or the journeymen that those guys have to fight? Well, it depends if you're with a big promoter. Mm. So if you're if you're not with a big promoter, I think, well, people like, you know, trying to make something of themselves they get it uh, they, they yeah they've got it the toughest i think they're the ones that have to run out selling tickets sure that side is tough i'm talking about fairness i mean in terms of like the results the decisions that are yeah but that are made in terms that's of- not it's it's not rare it's not it doesn't happen all the time that there's a dodgy decision with journeymen you know what i mean not to, not to, no, no not, not to. A, would you not say at least one at every one of these small hall shows you see a journeyman getting absolutely, sick. yeah, yeah, on that scale, yeah, I'm talking about that scale, but that's what I'm saying to me, that's not often, you know, right. I mean, one out of ten fights, for example. Um, listen, journeyman, still once a week, you got to respect them, sure. Um, they're making more money than these prospects, man. Some of these journeymen, they are, you know, what I mean, by just. I mean, I speak to a few of them and they're like, honestly, mate, I couldn't really give a shit about the decision because at the end of the day, if I keep getting wins, my phone stops ringing. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, so I, I, I don't really feel sorry for them. They, that's the kind of, you know, some people like being journeymen because, you know, imagine this, you fight like three times a month, you're earning more than a prospect. Yeah. If you're getting like, I don't know, a grand and a half every fight and you fight three times in a month, how much money they they're getting a month? Mm. You know what I mean? And that's on top of what they're making in the week, doing whatever they're doing, doing. their day job. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, they're coining it, saving a, a big whack. So it is fair. It's, you lost by a split. It swims. And you lost fair. by a split. <laughs> Don't worry, you're fighting again next week, man. You lost by a split. Don't act like you care. You and just care a, about your little money, man. And here's a grand. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. You go back to your missus, your kids. Your health is intact. You come back next week for another fight. Get you another grand and a half. Go and do your day job. Everything cushy. Everything nice, mate. But one thing I'll tell you about these journeymen, though, what I don't don't like, and it's not the journeymen's fault. Some of these up and coming prospects need to understand the word professional. So. I don't like fighters that are having conversations with the journeymen that they're about to fight. So let's forget elite level. You're about to fight this guy and you're having conversations. Oh, yeah? How many kids you got? Oh, yeah? You know, yeah? You, oh, you went out last weekend? What did you buy? Oh, yeah? Well, how was your diet? This and that. We're about to fucking fight. 
and they're having a full-blown conversation like they've been best friends for 20 years. I do not understand that about fighters, man. When you go, when it's time to fight, it's time to fight. Forget all that friendly stuff. Save that for after. You want to have a cup of tea with them afterwards and some biscuits? Leave that until after the fight. But before the fight, you're standing there and you're talking to them like you're friends. You're about to go to war with this person and you're talking to them like they're friends. I hate that about boxers that do that. And I hate boxers that get their rats put on and they go wandering around the arena when the crowd is all there and they've got a fight. They should be in a change room. Nothing, no one's stopping them from having a joke and a laugh in a change room. Mm. But don't go outside. You're mingling with the crowd. You've got your raps on. You know what I mean? Mm. I know, I understand some of these fighters are nervous, but they, that's boxing. You've got to learn to channel it in the right way. Mate. You think that's why they do it? Nerves? Yeah. 100%. I read boxers like a book. The only reason why you talk to your opponent is because you're nervous about something. Oh, I see what you mean. You know what I mean? Right. You're nervous about something. And listen, I'll give you an example. I was fighting in the national championship semi final, right? And I remember this clearly because it was only my 10th fight. And the, 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 the England boxing organizer, or whatever, come up to me and goes, Ah, you've done well to get this far, but you're up against a good one here, putting me down straight away, thinking I'm not going to win because this guy was a junior Olympic bronze medalist. Had 70-something fights, only lost three fights. And I beat him up. And it made my life easy, easier to beat him up because before the fight, two hours before the fight, my opponent goes out of his way to come up to me to shake my hand and say good luck. So at that moment there, I said, thank you very much. I've won the fight. There's no way someone's going to come up to me out of their way, shake their hand, say, good luck, have a good fight. I know you're scared mm. if you do that. So I, psychologically, right there, I've won the fight. So I don't understand these fighters that do that because I, I think it's because of nerves. They must be scared and they're trying to soften up their opponent. That's what I think. They're trying to soften them up. You know what I mean? Give me an easy time when I'm in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just give me a couple of jazz and let me just win this fight, please. That's what it feels like. Unless, and maybe this is the exception that proves the rule, yeah. unless you're Andy Ruiz, because that's exactly what he did with AJ. He basically was like a super fan. Do you remember? Like before the AJ fight, he acted like a super fan. It was like, oh, mate, can I get a picture with you? Can I hold your belts? He was doing, a, and I guess that was, it was all kidology and it was all a bit of a bit of game that he was playing on him. But it worked like a fucking treat, you have to admit. Yeah, but you could see, you. I know how to read boxes. When Andy Ruiz was doing it, I could see it was genuine. Like, oh my God, look. Yeah. These are the belts I could win. I can't believe I'm on this stage in front of all these thousands of people. I've worked all my life to get this to this point. He was in awe of the, the situation of, of the event. So you could see in his expression how much it meant to him. Sure that, you know, I could become a millionaire, feed my family, we'll never have to struggle anymore. That's the kind of vibe he, he let off. So in that regard, that that's, you know, I don't see that as you're scared or nervous or being a pussy or whatever. But I'm talking about prospects, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think even if you're a prospect, you should learn how to keep your composure. 
even if you're a prospect. You know what I mean? Mm. You've got you've got to do it because at the end of the day, you're going to step in the ring anyway. Unless you're going to walk back out of the arena saying oh, boxing's not for me, you're going to step in the ring anyway. So you might as well get you might as well get used to it and stop being a pussy and just get used to it. Get used to the ring walks. Get used to the nerves. Get used to a crowd. But don't get used to fucking having a cup of tea and biscuits with your opponent before a fight. Because that, to me, is just a sign of weakness if you're doing that. Do you think, and this isn't my opinion, just since we've been since I've been listening to you talk, I feel like this is a good question for you. Do you think that boxers today are pussies compared to the boxers of yesterday? 100%. You can count on your fingers who's not, and uh, you know, who's not a pussy. You can count it on, uh, on your fingers, you know what I mean? Um, which is very, there's very minimal. And by the way, I should just say, I don't like to use, I, I shouldn't have used it. All right, let's change the word pussy. It's, 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 it's a bit disparaging. Right. Some people might for cry. Who are, right. No, 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 I just mean it's, it's a bit. Yeah, but it's true. Some people might. It's a bit. Some isn't. people might be listening to this and be going, crying as they're listening seeing, and probably thinking that's that's me. You know? Yeah. No, all I mean is that anyone who's prepared to make their, make a go of it getting in the boxing ring, that in itself is yeah, of course it's not exactly the hardest thing in the world. It's the hardest thing in the world. The reason I ask is because someone put up a clip the other day of Arturo Gatti, and there's going to be something on BT Sports or maybe it's ESPN. I don't know. Talking up, talking to the people who knew Arturo Gatti the best. They're basically doing a big retrospective on Arturo Gatti, and one of the things I, I, find, I get emotional thinking about Arturo Gatti mainly because of those three. Mickey Ward fights, but particularly because the third one, he fought eight, I think, of those ten rounds with a broken hand. He broke his hand in, I think, yeah. the second or third round and did not stop. Yeah, of course. And there are fighters today, and I'm not naming names, but we, we all know think the we excuses yeah. that we've heard over the last few years if it's to do with fingers hurt. Well, Joe Kawasaki before he fought Jeff Lacey, mm. broke his hand. Right. Yeah? And now we all remember, that's probably one of the best performances of his career, as in boxing skills-wise. Mm. His dad told him, don't worry, son. This is going to be the easiest fight of your life. Mm. You know what I mean? Which hand did he break? Was it his left or his right? I don't know what hand it was, but he broke his hand, and he was saying to his dad, I don't know if I can fight. And his dad said... This is going to be the easiest fight, even with one hand, it's going to be the easiest fight of your career. And he went and done it. Mm. Deontay Wilder as well. I've seen the scars on Deontay Wilder's hands. He's broken his hands um, loads of times because of how hard he hits. Mm. You know I mean, it's boxing. Boxing comes with all this kind of shit, and then you've got to be able to deal with it. That's why I, I always say to myself, the, the boxers that I like is the ones that, you know, it comes with within, you know? Mm. It's not on the surface. I don't give a fuck about how good your jab is. Uh, how good are you when you step in the ring and someone punches you in the face? Mm. How are you going to deal with it then? That's that's what I try to look for in the fighters. Oh, does he shy away just because he gets hit in the in the face? Does he, you know, start to buckle under the pressure? All these little things are all the ingredients you need to be a world champion. It's not just about just going in the ring and hitting someone. How about when you get hit? How about if someone hits you low? How about someone butts you in the, in the face with their head? 
How are you going to deal with all these situations? So I always look in a fighter, their heart, their desire, and I hate when people quit. So they're all the things, ingredients I look for in a fighter. If you're going to be my fighter, they're the kind of ingredients I look for. Maybe I might find them out later right down the line, and then I have to turn around and go, Rick, maybe we don't work well together or whatever because you don't share the same kind of thing that I do or views. You know what I mean? Mm. And then we go our separate ways. But that's what I look for in fighters. So, yeah, I wouldn't use the word pussy. Pussy's a bit harsh because I'm not talking about pussy as in the way stepping into a ring. You don't mean cowardly. Yeah, I don't mean... I just mean, like, come on, man. If I'm telling you to fucking do six rounds sparring do six round fucking sparring. Mm. You know what I mean? It's boxing. That's what you need to do. If I need you to do uh, 20 burpees, just get down and fucking do the 20 burpees. This is the sport. It ain't, there ain't no... Um, you can't be friendly in this sport. This ain't bloody... You ain't you ain't prancing around, you know, hitting a golf ball where you're not getting your life. Your life is at risk. There's no game, man. Mm. Game, so. Do you find yourself ever looking at fighters from the past that you feel could have done better in their careers than they did and think that this is the kind of fighter that you would have actually worked incredibly well with? And if so, who? Oh, there's loads of fighters, man. If you could have got your hands, if the Daily Paralas of today had lived in any other era and could have got his hands on any fighter from the past, who do you reckon it would have been to train them? That's a hard one, man. Life's not easy. Yeah, I need a a bit more time for that. But um, for, for past fighters, I need a bit more time because... There's a lot of fighters out there. I think the past fighters, they're a different breed to the fighters of today. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. I'll take, for example, now, if you told me, let me name, name a fighter of present that you think you could take under your wing mm-hmm. and change him and make him a world champion. Well, I was thinking of asking you that, but I thought that might put you in a bit of an awkward yeah. position. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's not awkward. It's, uh, it's just the truth. I'm not trying to take any fighters right. off another coach. You know what I mean? Not trying to do that at all. Um, but let's say, for example, Josh Kelly. I was literally just going to ask you, what would you do? <laughs> Josh Kelly, for example. You know what I mean? There's yeah. things that I can see where I'm like, you know, if I was... So it's not about training Josh Kelly. It's about when I watch boxing, I'm like, you know what? I can improve that fight. I see things that he needs to do to become this type of fighter, for example. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same as Anthony Joshua. If I was to train Anthony Joshua, I'd know what to do with him. It's the same thing. But okay, well, I, 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 I'm picky as well, because I could change Anthony Joshua. I could change a Josh Kelly. But if you're talking to, if you tell me, train Daniel Dubois, he's not my type of fighter. Yeah. He's not my type of fighter. You know what I mean? Anthony Joshua has a, just enough elusiveness about him where I could change him and mould him into something. Whereas Daniel Dubois is just like uh, a Frank Bruno type fighter 
me and him wouldn't work well together. I don't like them kind of yeah. flavor. Of fight. I need fighters to move, man. It's hit and not get hit, baby. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's explore that for a minute. What would you do with AJ? Anthony hey. Joshua knocks on your door tomorrow and says, "I hear you're something of a decent coach." I say, "Who the fuck's your strength and conditioning coach?" <laughs> Who's them people on all the fucking computers who are marking down all your fucking <laughs> reps or whatever? Or, you know... The Ivan Drago. Yeah, where, where, where's your coach that, that you've got from out of space that comes with all this alien fucking technology? Remove them from the camp immediately. We're going to focus 100% on boxing. We're going to do old school conditioning and we're going to get you to a point where you're, you're untouchable. He doesn't need much, man, because technically he's good, right? But there's a lot of fundamental mistakes he does, like with head movement, with in the clinch, you know what I mean? With dictating a fight, there's small little details. Dictating a fight, he needs to learn how to do that. He needs to learn how to use his jab. Effectively, he needs to learn how to hold. He needs to know how to clinch and punch. You know, in the in the clinch, he needs to know when to punch and not to punch. Mm. He needs to know how to move his head. But these are all small details, small ingredients to make him a champion. You know what I mean? And cut all that fucking alien workout shit, man. Mm. Mm. But you know what? It's not about me sitting here saying what I can do for a fire. At the end of the day, I'm a hands-on coach, yeah? It's, it's not hard for me to say it, but for me to just say, oh, I can do this with this fire, I can do that with fire. I prefer to have them in front of me and then work my magic. That's how I work. I work my magic in the, in, in, in the present. You sound like a lap dancer. <laughs> I like to have them in front of me. <laughs> I can work my magic. Um, he's available for parties. <laughs> But in front of me, that's where I work my magic, man. That's when my brain comes alive, you know what I mean? You, you know, when I, the way I train people, I don't even... Sometimes I think to myself, I'm going to get out a pen and a pad, and tonight I'm going to prepare tomorrow's session. And Essie's here right now. So tomorrow I'm going to prepare um, an Essie's session. Um, I'm going to get a pen and paper because this is what he needs to work on to improve this and improve that a lot of coaches probably do that shit writing shit down this is what he needs to improve i don't do that it all it's all in my mind it's all in my mind and you know what we could turn up to the gym and there's something he does that i don't like right there and then and then that fucks up everything that i would have written down the night before for example so i prefer everything to come from my mind i visualize everything Everything's visual with me. I could be sitting there at home the night before visualizing everything. I don't need no pen and pad and paper and this and that. The only time I have a pen and paper for is for their weight, really. My mind, I've got an autistic mind. So if you tell me to do, to do a 30 punch combination, I'll be able to do it just like that. Within the session, we'll get it down. You know what I mean? where some people that take years to do. I've just got one of those minds where I can just soak up everything. That's why I watch boxing in a general way. I never put on a coach and say, I'm going to study this coach. You know what I mean? The coaches I like to watch are like the old school coaches. Mm. And people will find that weird because 
I do all that kind of Floyd Mayweather kind of pad work as well. But even with that, I don't sit there watching Roger Mayweather. I don't sit there watching Floyd Mayweather Sr. I don't sit there watching any of those kind of po- coaches that do that kind of pad work. Mm. It's just something that just happens when I'm training. You know what I mean? And I just work it out. And if it's shit, we just work it out. Mm. If we get it wrong, we work it out. That's how I work. I don't really study a coach. I don't want to be like any other coach. I want to be daily paralysis. Why is it you think that there aren't more um, incredibly successful coaches who were incredibly successful fighters? It always seems to be that it's the fighters who didn't maybe have the best run of it as fighters who then go on to be legends of trainers. I don't know. Can't answer that, man, because I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in their camp. I don't know what they do. I don't know their methods. I I don't know the ins and outs of their personal life or whatever. So it's really hard to. No, but you've been. But you've, you've been both. You've yeah, been, yeah, you've been, yeah. I can only say from my point of view. So I'm just wondering. My point of view is this, right? I, the reason why I'm, I personally think I'm a good coach for a fighter is because one, I've been an amateur boxer. Two, I've been a professional boxer. But forget about me being, uh, well, it is about me being a boxer, but forget about me actually fighting. It's the things that came with the fighting. The, the, the hardship, me trying to sell tickets, me saying fuck boxing, injuries, um, having kids at a young age. All these things is all the, ex- all the experience and everything that's happened to me, I try to give to my fighters. Like, hey, listen, this happened to me. Right. I had kids at a young age. Fuck kids. Leave them aside for now. Focus on your career. Women. If you're going to have a woman, have one woman that's going to respect that you have to train every single day and you have to grind. You know what I mean? You want to take your woman out? If your woman wants to be taken out and wind and dine, great. She best let you do your boxing so you can pay for that shit. You know what I mean? So if you're going to have one woman, have one woman. If not, don't have any woman. You know what I mean? If you need to, your business, you need to, you know, you need a little release. That's fair enough. But don't let it affect your boxing. You just have one woman or not at all. So all these little things I try to give to my boxers, like being smart as well, like investment. You know what I mean? Because when you're a boxer, you earn money. You ain't earning shit. So why are you spending all your fucking money? You ain't earning no money. So why spend all your money? So you've got to try and be smart. You gotta try and invest all your money because boxing's a short career. So all these experiences I have, I try to, you know, use all my mistakes and try to put it right as a trainer. So I think that's what makes me a good coach because I've been there and done it. I know all that fucking shit. I know all the dodgy managers, the dodgy promoters. I know everything there is to know about that side of boxing. You know, hardship. I know when my boxers feel low or they feel like fuck this, fuck this. I know what they're going through. So this is why I try to help pull them through out of that hole because I know I've been there and I've done it. You know what I mean? Mm. It's easy to quit. And I think the reason why I'm such a good coach is because I could have been world champion without having kids young. I love my kids. I'm happy they're here. Without having kids young, without, you know, fucking the life I had in foster homes, living on my own, having to survive by myself, you know, getting in, mixing in with the wrong crowd, getting in trouble with police, you know, um, changing trainers, trying to sell tickets, all this fucking shit. You know what I mean? This is what makes me a fucking great trainer, man. I'll tell you now.
I could easily quit. I don't like quitters. I sure. could easily quit. But this is what going to make me a great trainer. Is because I could have been a world champion. So the passion and the drive I have, because I knew I could have been a world champion. Okay, now it's, nothing's changed. I'm still a winner. And I still got the same mentality. But now it's just switched as being a coach. Now I want to be a fucking world champion coach with a world champion fighter and have my name up there as one of the best coaches in the world where people go, you know what, that, I respect that coach. Mm. Not just because of his training methods, but just because of the way he is with his fighters, the relationships he has with the fighters, you know what I mean? The, the, the inspiration he gives to everyone in the world, you know what I mean? For, for boxing, for life, you know what I mean? So that's how I want to be remembered. So that's why I'm... And I always say this, you're going to be a coach, You've got to be packed, do it with passion. Otherwise, fuck being a coach, man. Well, it's a lot to it's a lot to do, isn't it? I mean, if you think if your fighter is is the ship, then you are you're the captain, you're the first mate, you're the guy throwing the coal in the engine, you're doing all of that. You're the one drive. You're the, you're yeah, the, exactly. You're, you're the, and it's a hard sport. At the end of the day, we're going to wrap this up now. But the last thing I'll say, it's a hard sport. And you got to have that balance with your fighter where they don't take the piss out of you as a person thinking you're some soft-ass coach. So you got to have a balance where they know the line. But at the same time, you've got to be able to be their friend, you know, have a laugh and joke with them because it's a hard sport. So you've got to be able to train hard, but also be able to joke around, have, have fun with, with your fighters because I think that builds a good relationship with your fighter. And, um, yeah, a long, successful road to that world title super can i do a quick shameless little plug yes do a plug do a plug ben katzler the world's best photographer well that's probably pushing it in fact that's definitely follow him ben katzler instagram yeah please do follow me at ben katzler k-a-t-z-l-e-r and also fight show 2020 is the exhibition i'm going to be putting on next year celebrating this wonderful sport that we've just spent how long God, I don't know, an hour and a half. Yeah. Thinking about. I'm yeah. sure we could have gone for another hour and a half more. Exactly. Pretty easy. Pretty Mr. Easy. Ben Katzler, thank you very much. You're Follow right. him on Instagram. Wonderful photographer. If you want pictures, you know where to find him. Just go and follow him. You go and DM him. And then um, the rest is history. Thank you very much, my man. This has been a joy. Um, the Daily Effect Boxing, and we are.